You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We have uh, been going through a, kind of a mini-series, couple of weeks here, talking about Come Connect Change. As I was thinking about today's message, I thought about a series of jokes that uh, uh, were pretty popular quite a few years ago, but uh, they were all about the changing of the light bulb jokes, remember? Like how many narcissists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, he holds a light bulb and the world rotates around him. Um, and then it, there were those with religious connotations. How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? All of you guys got real uncomfortable. None, they just like candles, it's okay. Um, but my favorite one, was how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Yeah, some of you guys got that. Because as people and as Christians, we have a pretty uncomfortable relationship with change. We have out uh, in our lobby, hopefully you saw it. If not, you should check it out after church. A timeline, Jason worked on that, did a great job with that, uh, of, of the history of our church. And we've been using this series, kind of talking about the past. And then, uh, especially next week, as we celebrate our 75th anniversary, we look back at so many things. We really want to also talk about our future. But... There, there are, are times in church where we clamor for the past or for a lack of change. We don't want to hear new songs, preacher. We want to hear the old songs. Well, I, you know, why would we change and put in new carpet when the old carpet seems just fine? Or whatever it is. Now, there's some change that everybody likes. For instance... On that timeline, there's a picture of when our church met in this building just north of us. Um, the bulk of the interior was paneling. Some change is good, amen? <laughs> and although now that room and that area has swamp coolers that cool it, at the time there was no air conditioning or swamp coolers. They would open the windows on the side and you would pray for cross ventilation and that you were not sitting across from someone that didn't smell good. Now we have air conditioning. I came in this morning. I set the air. I know some of you think it's a little warm and some of you think it's extremely cold. So probably we got it about right. That's my goal is just have half the people complain each way. But AC, that's a pretty good change. Amen? I, I, I'm in favor. But sometimes we're not in favor of some change. And yet when it comes to our walk with Jesus Christ, when it comes to our spiritual life, change is absolutely a part of it. Matter of fact, Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, 
If you, if, if Christ, his grace and his forgiveness as a part of your life, if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is a change. And so we've been going through and talking about come connect change. We talked about how with the idea of come that God came to us. That that we were sinners and we couldn't go to him, but he came to us. And that we are to come together. And there's things that happen there. We talked about connection and the idea of the vine and the branches, that we are to abide in him. And then the connection that we have with one another. But all of those things are leading up to a point of and a process of change. Because God desires to do a work in us. And that work involves us changing. And yet, if we're not careful, we can resist that. I was thinking about it this week as I was driving up in the mountains yesterday. Uh, me and just a few thousand of my closest friends on I-70. You know, maybe you're a guy or a gal and you like old cars. Maybe you think, man, that, that's when they knew how to build them. Amen. Except for at about 75 miles an hour, some of those old cars didn't handle real well if they could get up to that speed. New cars on new suspension and new tires they drive pretty nice at that speed, don't they? And when I can roll my windows up and the sound dampening's working and the AC's keeping me at the perfect temperature, then a new car's not so bad. It's like my wife, she got a new car. And one of the options that she had on that new car was a, is a heated steering wheel. Ridiculous, right? Unbelievable. Like, who needs that? Until that cold day I got in her car and that heated steering wheel was on and I was like, oh, I think I'm in love. I mean, that was the stupidest thing I ever heard of until it wasn't. We resist change even though the reality is in our lives we need it. And it's for our good. Kids do that when they're immature, don't they? Well, I don't want to go to school. I don't need, I don't want to do this. I don't, I mean, kids don't want to do a lot of stuff, amen? I'm not sorry. Maybe not your children. Maybe they're perfect. But you don't say to your kid, well, you know, I get, you're six and you don't want to change, so just stay exactly the way you are. I mean, as parents, we might think we want that, but the reality is they're going to grow. They need to go to school. They need to learn. They need to change in the right ways. Amen? The same is true for us. And sometimes we're immature and we resist that change. 
I want to give you three things this morning about how God changes us. The first is this. He changes us from death to life. Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse number one says this, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now there's parts of this passage that we don't necessarily like to think about, but the first is this. We are born separated from God. He says, he says that you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, we don't think of ourselves as being that way. We don't think of ourselves as being dead, but that's spiritually the state we find ourselves before we come to Christ. And so we're in this state. A dead person can do nothing but Christ came to us. God extended his love to us. And so he makes us alive who were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Romans chapter three, verses 10 and 12 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. What do you think he's trying to say there? I mean, he says it over and over again. There's none who are good. There's none who God looks at and goes, oh, you're great. I really want to have a relationship with you. No, we're dead in our trespasses and sin, but God does love us. He does want to have a relationship with us, but we it's not what we do. It's what God does for us. And so he changes us from death to life. It's God who came to us. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, For when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But listen what he says in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we have been saved from wrath through him. And so God takes us from death to life, from lost to found, from lost to saved. All of these words and analogies that he uses in scripture to talk about how we are made alive in Christ. He it makes in us a new creation. He says he gives us a, a new heart, a new spirit, a new mind, new eyes to see. He's working and transforming us into a new creation. He's bringing about spiritual change in our life. And all we have to do is repent and turn to him in faith. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus would describe it in John chapter 3 as being spiritually born again, being, being born again in a spiritual sense. And so we understand this idea that God takes us from death to life. But it's not instant. It's, it's instant that we're born again, but that's not, we're not a finished product. If you're a parent, you understand the concept of when you went from not being a parent to being a parent to not having a child, to being a child. Remember when you bring that child home from the hospital? Maybe you had everything ready, but still you weren't ready. And you had that baby, and now you're a parent, and now you have a kid, and it's alive, but it's not finished. Or maybe you think about that day when your child's 17, 18, 23, whatever it is, they graduate from high school. Maybe they were a little slow. I don't know. <laughs> and you think, now you're an adult. But are they? You know, that's a process too, isn't it? I've got two adult children who I hope aren't watching the live stream today. But... Um, and they're great, and I'm proud of them. And they are independent. But they still need mom and dad occasionally. And, and, and that's good. Listen, I'm not, I'm not sad about that. I like it when they go, hey, can you help us out? Yeah, I want to be that guy. We want to do that as parents. Even though they're out on their own. Even though they're taking care of themselves. And we are brought from death to life, but there's also a process that takes place. And that is the idea of as we are changed from sinner to sanctified. Because Ephesians chapter 2 goes on in verse 6 and it says this, and raised us up, this is what God did for us, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're raising children, there are milestones, right? For instance, I remember, uh, you remember when your kids can begin to walk. And you remember when they can talk. A big milestone for us, I remember, is when our kids got potty trained and we didn't have to buy diapers anymore. That was great because A, it saved us from buying diapers, and B, as a dad especially, I felt like I could take my kids more places and I wasn't going to have to change their diaper. 
or pretend I didn't smell what I smelled until I got it home so that their mom could change their diaper. <laughs> Not that e that ever happened, but I'm just saying. That's a milestone, right? And it's a milestone when they start school, and it's a milestone when they can stay home by themselves. It's a milestone when they start to drive. <laughs> it's a milestone we're going to experience this month. Uh, my daughter's going to get her driver's license if she passes the test, Lord willing. Um, she's doing great. It's a milestone when they go off to school or, or move out of the house. There's all those milestones, but it's a process along the way. The same thing is true in our spiritual life. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and we're made alive in Christ, but then we grow in him. We grow in our knowledge, and we grow in the application of that knowledge. We learn more about God, but we also learn how to, how to walk with him, how to follow him, how to imitate him in a better, in a deeper way. We hopefully become more mature, more sanctified, in our walk. Ephesians 2, we just read that, says that, that God created us in Christ Jesus for good works. We are made to do good works. Now that doesn't mean we're just made to, you know, be good people. It means that, that as God created us and brought us from death to life, that he has things for us to do. God created each and every one of you uniquely. He has gifted you and equipped you. He is working on you to, to, to do his mission, his works in this world. And, and, and God created us to do these things. Jesus said this in, Martin, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. In his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God desires that we would live in such a way that when people would look at us and see us, they would go, Who's the God they serve? What, what an amazing God they serve. Not that they would look at us and go, that guy must be really smart. She must be super talented. No, not that we would be glorified, but that God would be glorified through us. This is God's plan. These good works are a result of a new heart, of our new creation. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 12, says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He says, I know that you're trying to serve the Lord. I know that you obey, not just when I'm there, but even when I'm gone. He says, work out your own salvation. But then he says this, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says, listen, God desires to work in you and through you. 
I use that phrase a lot, that God wants to work in us and through us. What does that mean? Well, sometimes God can't work through us until he first works in us. Like God can't use us as much as he wants until he changes some things about us. Then he can use us more effectively. And so God desires to work through us, but also in us. He is changing us, conforming us into the image of Jesus. And some of us are a little farther from that image than others. Some of us have certain parts of that that are, are, are a little better than others. Some of us are a little closer than others. When it comes to um, maybe, maybe mercy, maybe that's something that, that, that you do pretty good. You, you just have a, a merciful heart. You're compassionate towards other people. Maybe some of you are like, eh, didn't they kind of get what they deserved? Maybe when it comes to, to the truth and standing for the truth, maybe some of us are a little closer than others, but it's not a competition. The reality is this, none of us do everything like Jesus most of us do few things like Jesus. And God is working to change us. He's working in us and through us. We are sanctified through the word of God. That word sanctified means to make holy or to purify. One writer put it this way, and I love this. It says, to purify internally by the reformation of the soul. By the reforming or the reformation of the soul. Our very being. I can relate to that. That sometimes I'm kind of rotten to the core. And I need God to change that. I need his Holy Spirit to work from the very center of me out. Because yes, sometimes my sin and my wickedness comes out, but I know a lot of times it just starts right in the very heart of me and I need my very being reformed, changed. And this is what God does, the idea of sanctifying us to make us pure or holy. Theologically, we call this progressive sanctification. You know what that just means? It means it's a process. It doesn't just happen like that. You don't just pray a prayer and Jesus indwells you and then all of a sudden you do everything right and never make a mistake again. Because we still have sin within us, amen? And sometimes it comes out. But we're sanctified, we're made pure, we're made holy through the word of God. Jesus said this in John 17, sanctify, easy for me to say, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Want to live a life of holiness? We've got to be in God's word. Because it's through the truth of God's word that the Holy Spirit can begin to make application to our life. That's why sometimes we read the scriptures and we read scriptures that we've read many times before, but then in that circumstance, God applies them to our, our heart and our life in a new way. 
And we go, oh, I really needed that today. Well, I've read that before, but now the Holy Spirit's telling me exactly how that fits in my life right now. He sanctifies us through his word. And finally, God is able to change us beyond what we can imagine. Ephesians chapter two, we've read uh, verses one through 10, and, and he's talking about this process, but we get to Ephesians chapter three and verse 20, and it, he, he says this about God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now keep that verse up there for a moment. These are powerful words, but oftentimes we relate these words to how we want God to work in circumstances in our life. We want God to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. In other words, God, I want you to, to take care of my finances and help me with these bills. And what I'd really like for you to do is to bless me exceedingly and abundantly above all that I ask or think. Amen? But that's not the primary application of that verse. God, I am dealing with these relationships and, I, and I'm at work and, and you know that, I mean, I'm great and these other people, they don't know what they're doing, God, and I need a promotion. And, and really, if people could just see what a great job I'm doing, really what I'd like you to do, God, is bless me exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think. Amen? That's not the primary application of that verse. Notice what he says, according to the power that works in us. God desires to form you into the image of Jesus and to make changes in your life exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. In other words, you know those thoughts that you have, those evil thoughts, and you think, God, if you could just kind of help me not think so much like that. You know that temper that you have and, and you lose it and you say things you shouldn't do and you do things you shouldn't do and you think, God, if you could just rein that anger in a little bit and you know how we say things that aren't true, how we have uh, things that have power over us and, and addictions and other things and we think, God, just help me a little bit but God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ask or think. God wants to radically transform who you are and what you do. That's a powerful thing. That's a scary thing. Because so much of the time, we just want God to tweak us a little bit. But can I tell you that we need more than a slight tweak? Amen, preacher, that's good. Some of you are like, well, do I? I mean, I feel like I'm pretty great. 
Listen, if God's going to make us like Jesus, that is a radical transformation. And for some of us, we feel like that's so far away that it's impossible. But God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. See, he's in the business of taking people that are far from God and bringing them close. He takes us when we are dead and makes us alive. If God can take a dead person and make them alive, don't you think he can make us to be more like Jesus? This is the process that God wants to do in our life. And as long as we're alive here on the earth, that process never stops. And for some of us, we think, man, if I could just overcome this in my life, if I could just get, get to this point, then everything would be perfect. We are in love with the idea of happily ever after. But on this earth, spiritually, that doesn't happen. God is always working to make us more like Jesus. We don't get to a point where we just live without sin and we do everything exactly the way Jesus would do it. He's constantly showing areas of our life that we need to improve. But at some point, if we're not careful, we just resist that change. But if you are still drawing breath, God still desires to bring change in your heart and your life. He still desires to work in you and through you. And then we look forward to that day where we are in the image of Jesus. The Bible talks about our salvation being made from death to life. He talks about our sanctification, that process by which he is bringing change in us. And then he talks about our glorification. We, Jason read these verses earlier as we sang, but he says in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet of God uh, will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That happens when we are changed, when we are transformed from human, dying, mortal to heavenly glorified and immortal. And I struggle to even imagine what that is like. Oh, I can think about the physical aspects. 
I can remember when I was young and, and, and when I ran, my, my body didn't hurt. And I can remember when, when physically I felt a certain way and I think, wouldn't it be great that way? But then that it's not just a physical transformation. I think about what does it mean for me to exist without a sin nature? For my motives to be pure, for me to, to, to love people and, and communicate with them and not be worried about, well, what do they think about me and what do they mean by that? And, and, and all of the, the things that, that are wrapped up in my sin nature. It's hard for me to imagine me without sin. Some of you are like, I get it, preacher. It's hard for me to imagine you without sin. <laughs> But that is the idea of what God will one day make out of us. And I think sometimes in, in churches today, we're so focused on, you know, preacher, give me something that will build me up. Give me something that'll help me get through the week. Give me something that'll make my life a little bit better, or more meaningful or easier, whatever that is. And the Bible does that. God desires to, to walk with us. But sometimes I don't think we talk enough or focus enough on the eternal. And the older I get, the closer I get to that, the longer I'm in ministry, the more important that is becoming to me. This week, this week we had a, a, a dear lady pass from, from, from life to death. This week I went and visited a church member who I hadn't seen in a few months and, and they looked at me and, and they said, who are you? And I realized that their mind and their memory was going. And I also realized that that's where I'm headed. That's where all of us are headed. And we don't like to think about that because that process is often difficult. But that is not the end. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that, that our physical deterioration and ultimately our death is not the end. Because our life is just a breath. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. But we will forever Dwell in the presence of God Almighty in a glorified, sinless state. Listen, that's something to look forward to. As we age, as we physically deteriorate, as we deal with other health struggles, with whatever life has in front of us, we know that those things are not the end. Those things are only the, 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 the beginning of our eternity. And what an amazing eternity is. He says, your corruptible will put on incorruption. Your mortality will put on immortality. Romans describes it this way. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but, but for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry aloud or cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we indeed may also be glorified together. What an amazing thing. I, every time I think about it, I have to say again, that I, I absolutely believe that one of Satan's greatest tools in this day and age is to make heaven seem less great than it is. For people to go, yeah, you know, I want to go to heaven someday, but man, life's pretty good right now. That's because you don't understand heaven. Everything we see and experience that's good in this world is a fallen version of what God has in store for us. Heaven's not floating on a cloud board and everybody wears the same kind of thing. Listen, heaven is a place where if you enjoy expressing your individuality and being creative, all that you know on the earth is a fallen version of what God has for you in heaven. Listen, I, I love to go to the mountains. I love to hike and, and, and four-wheel and camp and do all of those things. And just you get to a point where you see God's creation and, and, and you're just blown away by it. You think we're going to miss that in heaven? Listen, this earth is a fallen, temporary version of God's creativity and creation. The Bible says that one day it will burn up, but he will create for us a new heaven and a new earth. What do you think that's going to be like? The Bible tries to describe it. The best the writers can do is go, well, for foundation stones, he uses diamonds. And for asphalt, he uses gold. And oh, by the way, every other part of it's pretty great too. Amen? There's nothing that we will desire there. And this is what we have to look forward to. He says in Revelation 21 and verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Death and sorrow, tears and pain, those things only become a memory. They are the former things. You want to talk about a change that we won't miss? You will not sit in heaven and go, remember the good old days? 
Remember the good old days where somebody would sneeze at your work and you'd have a cold for two weeks? Remember the good old days where you'd, you'd wake up in the middle of the night half asleep and you'd stub your toe on the foot of your bed and, and it would feel like the greatest pain ever? Remember the good old days? Remember the good old days where you'd eat that thing that really didn't sit well with your stomach and for the next 24 hours, you couldn't get more than 10 feet away from the bathroom? Remember the good old days? <laughs> think we're going to sit around and reminisce and miss those things? I don't think so. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. Remember the good old days where you get mad and you'd say something and as soon as you say it, you wish you could reach out and grab it because you knew you hurt the person that you loved and you didn't want to do that. Remember the good old days? Remember the good old days where someone would say something to you that would cut so deep and you knew you'd never forget it? Remember the good old days? No. God is going to transform us. This is what we have to look forward to in eternity. Where pain and sorrow and tears and regret are the former things that have been put away. And now we live in fellowship with him and with each other in glorification for all of eternity. This is what God has for us. This is the change that he is ultimately going to bring in us. Shouldn't we be about experiencing as much of that change here on earth as we can until that day when we are ultimately changed into the image of Christ? This is what God has for us. And yet we sit around and we think we just need a tweaking and we resist God's work in our life. When listen, he wants to do for us exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Blessed be the God, 1 Peter 1 says, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to, a, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word that sanctifies us, that reveals to us the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to be those who would resist the change you desire to bring in our life. Lord, help us even this week to seek to apply your word, to, to live and act and be more like Jesus. And God, help us to look forward to that day 
when our, Im when our mortality will put on immortality, when our corruption will put on incorruption. God, when we will be in that glorified state, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, experiencing fellowship and life like we've never known it. God, help us to fix our focus on that and on you. And as we do, God, we ask that you would work in and through us. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that has not experienced what it means to be brought from death to life spiritually. Lord, I pray that even today before they leave this place, they would have a conversation with myself or somebody else, Lord, about what it means to be born again, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. God, bless us as we go from here today. Help us, Lord, to take the good news to others. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.